Church, for the fifth time, good morning. It is good uh, to be with you today, and we are going to quickly uh, jump into the Word of God. I hope you have your Bibles in front of you. If you don't have a Bible with you, there may be one in the chairs in front of you. Uh, if you've got a, a phone with you, you can go to Google and say, Google Romans 8, and it'll just show up. That's the world we live in. Um, so shut everything off on your phone, I would suggest, as we uh, get into Romans chapter 8. I want to welcome, again, those of you that are visiting. I've met, met a couple uh, of you already uh, today. It's great to have you with us. And since some of you, I know, were not here last week, I want to just very briefly, before we get into today's unit of Scripture that begins at verse 18 of Romans 8, I want to go back to something difficult, something hard that Paul says in, in the end of last week's unit of Scripture. So look with me at verse 17. It says, um, if we are children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That, that, that's the good news. That, that, that part's exciting. But then we have this clause here, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Paraphrase of verse 17 is if you are a Christ follower, then you are going to suffer. This isn't like ancillary. It's not like this might happen or might not happen. Did, did you read it? Look at it again. If indeed we share in his sufferings. Those who are adopted into his family, those who are heirs of the new heavens and new earth, of new glorified bodies, if we are going to share in his glory, we're going to suffer. Now, in today's unit of Scripture, beginning in verse 18, Paul wants to give us help with that hard statement. He wants to give us hope. I kind of put it big there. Can you read those letters? Do you need uh, glasses? Hope. He wants to give you and me massive, relevant, practical hope in whatever way that you are suffering. Hope. And that is what today's unit, verses 18 the Curtis has just read 18 through, where are we going, through 25. So let's begin looking at verse 18. He's giving the reader, the careful reader, help for this, this controversial and difficult statement that you are going to suffer if you are a Christ follower. It says it in many places in the New Testament. This is just one of them. So look with me at verse 18. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, I want to take this first sentence, this first verse apart, phrase by phrase. So first of all, who is the us? The us is, is, is us, believers, Christ followers. It's us. And what he's saying is our present sufferings, uh, the, the ESV that Curtis just read said something like this present time. So he is referring from the time of the resurrection of Jesus until now, until he comes again, his church, his people are going to have all kinds of sufferings. The Greek word here is the word pathema. You don't need to know that to know what it means. You can understand what sufferings means in context. It means every kind of suffering. This is not just suffering for the sake of the gospel. It includes that, but it's not just that. 
This is not just suffering because of physical illness and the, the problems in this life, in this world, uh, cancer and so on, but it includes that. This word pathema, where we get our English word pathology, the, su- the study of suffering or illness or sickness, this pathema also includes relational suffering and emotional suffering and anxiety. So Paul is saying, I consider that our present sufferings, all the sufferings of all of the Christ followers from the time of Jesus until he comes again are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now the us we've already talked about, but what is the glory that will be revealed? I mean, this is, this is really beautiful. He's talking about our perfection or our glorification, perfection in the sense of our fallen bodies becoming what God designed them to be at some point in the future. This is what he's referring to, that there is going to be this great glory and transformation of you and me if we are Christ followers of our mind, of our soul, of our bodies, of all of us. We are going to function the way that we were designed one day. Any amens on that? So he's saying the sufferings that we're dealing with are incomparable to this glory that we are going to have, you and me, Christ follower. We see uh, this glory in Jesus in Luke chapter 24. After the resurrection, while they were still talking, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. A fancy word for this is is glorified. Jesus' glorified body. And they kind of freak out when they see him, but they, they know it is him. One day, you and I will have glorified bodies. And that is what is being referred to, the glory that will be revealed in us. Now back to the sufferings. Again, every kind of suffering you could conceive of in your mind is what is being referred to in verse 18, but the suffering of believers. Now one of the things that we might ask, if you are suffering a lot, and just to be honest, on a relative scale, I'm around a lot of people who suffer a lot, but I just... Just being honest here, I have not suffered a lot in my life. I just haven't. But some of you have. And so when you read this, you you might be like, really? Really? I mean, we have people suffering inside so badly, we regularly have people jumping off the Forest Hill Bridge. One of the very few good things the news media does, the Auburn Journal and others, is that they don't write stories about it. It's just happened recently. It happens regularly. As we pastors get together, we pray. There is intense suffering going on in our community. There was just a, a, a jumper just a few days ago. So what I'm saying here is some of you might be saying, really? The suffering is not worth comparing to that glory? This suffering is intense. 
whether it's relational suffering, whether it's cancer, whether it's depression, whatever it is. So a couple things to help with that. One is we need to ask ourselves, if, if that's where you are, you're like, really? is this really true? You're just like saying this pie in the sky thing and, and, and trying to make light of my suffering? No, it's not what the Bible's saying. And as we read the scripture, we should keep in our minds that every verse of scripture has two authors, the Holy Spirit and then the human author. And so it might do well for us to ask the question about what kind of suffering did the person who wrote this experience? Now, I'm just being honest with you. I have suffered very little. Many of you know who wrote the book of Romans, Paul, and he tells us about his suffering in 2 Corinthians. Now, he says it in kind of an interesting way. We don't have time to get into 2 Corinthians too much, but a little bit here. There's these false teachers in Corinth, and they were boasting about their superiority and their talents and their teaching and so on. And so Paul says to them, since many are boasting in, in the way the world does, I too am going to boast. He's kind of like letting them have it here. You get the spirit of this? Like he, he, he's like giving them a jab. It's like, you false teachers are boasting? Well, I, I, I'm going to boast. And then many of you, you've read this before. Here's his boast, and this is helpful to hear as we read his words, inspired by the Spirit in verse 18. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely than, than the false teachers in Corinth, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, he himself being a Jew. I mean, just that alone. I mean, how different would I be as a preacher if five times I've received 40 lashes minus one from the people from my own tribe? He goes on. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers, namely at, at Corinth. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. The man who wrote this suffered a lot. And he's saying that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us, in the new heavens and the new earth, when like Christ after his resurrection, you and I are transformed and become human beings in the fullest sense of the word. That's what I meant by perfect. Only God is really perfect, but you know what I'm trying to say? You know what I was trying to say? This is a strong, strong say statement that Paul is making. He's not only suffered a ton, likely more than you, certainly more than me, but he's also gotten a glimpse of glory. He's also gotten a glimpse of something like what it's going to be like, something else I haven't experienced. This is also in 2 Corinthians. So Paul speaks of himself in the third person here. 
which you kind of do when you're saying something crazy, something like out of this world. And so he's talking about himself when he says, and I know that this man, this man himself, Paul, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. He couldn't tell us about them. He just like, kind of just like cracked the door open so we could see in a little bit, but I, I can't tell you about what I heard. So here's a guy who suffered a ton, someone who's had a glimpse of paradise, and he's saying to you and to me, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This is on his way to deliver this message in this unit of Scripture of hope for us. This is real, tangible reality that is coming. And so his sufferings are not diminished. The intensity of, of those who are seriously depressed, critically depressed, clinically depressed, massively depressed, He's not minimizing that depression. He's not minimizing cancer. He's not minimizing the struggles of growing old. He's maximizing the transformational glory that diminishes this in light of that, but doesn't diminish this in and of itself. So I have a total of, of four points this morning. And as is my usual custom, I'll have to pick up the pace on these other points. The Christ follower's path to incomparable glory includes suffering. He's trying to help us with this suffering. He, he wants you to have hope in the midst of your suffering. It is God's will for Christ followers to have hope in the midst of their suffering, whatever flavor it is, that suffering. As I'm Reading and studying and praying over this passage yesterday in my, my office right over here, several of you came to my mind, and one was kind of at the top of the list, uh, Norm and Ellen Worthington. Those of you, that's just a name. Some of you don't know them. But Norm has been battling cancer, and Ellen has been battling alongside her husband. And one of the hardest things, well, it's just really hard when cancer ravages your, your body. And in some ways, it may even be harder, can I say this, for the spouse of the person. So you're, you're, you're struggling, Ellen's struggling and, and suffering as she watches her husband suffer, but she's suffering on another level of anxiety and, and being alone and potentially losing him and so on. So as I'm praying over, as I'm reading, as I'm studying this yesterday, I, I had to just call them. I'm sitting in my office right over here. I just, I pick up the phone and, and I call them. And they put me on speakerphone. And I just read verses, I just read 18 to 21. And, and I told them, I might mention you in my sermon. And, and, um, and I just, I read these verses. And, and tears started to flow uh, on that side. And even though I didn't have physical tears, uh, my, my, my heart was, was sorrowful and yet joyful with them at that moment. They were so thankful for this word of hope. I didn't preach this sermon. I just read the passage. It was a short phone call. Just read this word of hope 
into them. This is a practical, important passage for us to take in. It's it's not worth comparing to where we are headed. This passage is not intended to, to minimize the intensity of Norman Ellen's suffering or anyone else's suffering, but to put in perspective of, of eternity and of where we are headed. Doug Moo, in his commentary, writes this. He says, A Christian views the suffering of this life in a larger, world-transcending context that, while not alleviating its present intensity, transcends it with a confident expectation that suffering is not the final word. Suffering is not the final word. And there is, we'll see at the end of this message, even a purpose, a redemptive purpose in it. And we're reminded of this throughout the New Testament, that it's not final. Jesus is speaking and anticipating the suffering of his disciples in John 16. On a very personal, relational level, he's, he's, he's anticipating their grief when he's gone. I mean, you want to talk about a loss. I mean, how cool would it be to travel with Jesus for three years, living in the backcountry of Galilee, learning from him, eating with him, being with him? How many of you here have lived in Christian community, maybe on a mission trip or in college or something like that? Raise, raise your hands if you've lived in Christian community for some period of time. So those of you that have your hands up, you know what that community is like. The intensity of that fellowship. So Jesus is anticipating the grief they're going to have on a personal level when he's gone. He says to them, you will grieve. He's speaking to his, his small group, his crew, his, his, his disciples. But your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, disciples. Now is your time of grief. When Jesus is going to ascend and, and, and no longer be on the earth physically as he was. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. That again part is, is, is what verse 18 of Romans 8 is talking about. I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In the new heavens and new earth, no one will take away your joy. No re- broken relationship, no cancer, no death. It, it is permanent and eternal. It is really, really good news. This gospel that gives us this practical hope alongside the difficult truth that we are going to suffer. All of that from verse 18. All right, here we go. Say, say pick it up, Mike. You can say that. Say, pick it up, Mike. Pick it up. All right, I'm going to pick it up here. 19, 19 through 22. Let's take more than a verse, all right? Let, let's take 19 through 22. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God or the children of God. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons or the children of God to be revealed. 
Okay, I got to pause here. We are going to go through 22, but let me pause here and say just a couple things on 19. So creation here is referring to everything in creation other than human beings. So human beings, you and I, Christ followers, are addressed in verse 18. So creation here is referring to the foothills. It's referring to the Sierras. It's referring to Lake Tahoe. It's referring to the oceans. It's referring to everything in, in, on this planet other than human beings. This is pretty radical what's going on here in 19 to 22. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God. That is, you and me, the children or sons of God, our being glorified creation. God is personifying creation as though creation is a person. And creation is having eager expectation for that moment. When, when in the new heavens and new earth, we are in our glorified bodies and things are as they should be. Creation is personified here, this phrase, in eager expectation. So I, I've been thinking about this phrase all, all week, and, and I think we have two dogs, and, and I think of my, my, I hope this isn't irreverent or whatever, but I think of my little dog, our, our smaller dog, when I think of this in eager expectation. Now, our smaller dog, she just wants love. She just wants touch. That's like, she just wants to be touched. So she will jump up on our ping pong table that's on the deck um, outside our sliding glass window. She will jump up on the ping pong table, and she does this thing. We call it the extended gooseneck, where she just like stretches her neck toward the sliding glass door so that we will, we will come and, 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 and just come outside and touch her or, or let her in. Like, I, I, I want to be with you. And then sometimes in the wintertime, you know, we have uh, wheelbarrows of firewood right outside that sliding glass door. And this is pretty cool. This girl, this, this girl, this dog, she's got this athleticism and dexterity. She will jump up on these, like, awkward piles of firewood, and she's got one paw on this piece of firewood and one paw here, and she's in a wheelbarrow, and she's doing this extended gooseneck, like, hey, will you come out here and love me? Will you be with me? Will you touch me? She has this eager expectation. This is the kind of spirit that God through the Holy Spirit, through the author Paul, is describing creation longing for the moment when you and I are going to be glorified. The sons of God, the children of God are going to be revealed. This is strong language about creation. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Pause here briefly. What is he talking about here? Who is the one who subjected creation? It is God. This happened a long time ago. Genesis chapter 3. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. He's not talking about just the dirt here. He's talking about creation. He's talking about the planet. He cursed the planet. Because of you. This goes back to some themes in last week's sermon about the seriousness of sin. Sin is serious. It's so serious that God cursed the ground, the earth, creation. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Creation was subjected 
to this futility. To this futility. Lost my place here. The one who subjected it, not by its own choice. Come back to verse 21. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Do you see this? Creation, like human beings, are going to be transformed. It will be liberated. This planet, full of tsunamis, forest fires, earthquakes, uh, all kinds of devastation, it's not working well. This creation itself will be liberated from its bondage. This is something that isn't preached a whole lot. So you've probably read this before, but I don't know if you've thought about this. There is a parallel between human beings and creation, both of which are going to be redeemed and glorified, and things are going to work the way God intended on this planet at some point in the future. So some of you should be asking, well, when is that? And I'm going to hit that in just a moment. But man, is that going to be good? Things are going to work in creation the way they were designed. Don't listen to me just say this if you're like, are you sure? Yeah, read the verse. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. It's in decay right now. It's messed up right now. So I normally do this at the beginning of the sermon, but if you're visiting with us, I often give you like bear sighting updates. All right? I usually tell you about uh, bear sightings and things that I have. So I, I have a bear report. It's a little bit related to this, but not really. I'm just kind of working it in. I didn't actually see the bear. A couple weeks ago, we're up in Tahoe renting this house, 4th of July, and I didn't close the garage. I didn't lock the doors. I wake up in the middle of the night, got all these bikes in the garage, and I'm thinking, okay, I should probably go close the garage door. So in the middle of the night, I walk down into the garage, and the refrigerator in the garage is open. And the door on my truck is open, ajar. And the door on our Honda is open, ajar. Now, it's the middle of the night. I'm not thinking clearly. I'm thinking, are our bikes here? They're all there. That's how I'm thinking. So you know how to pray for me, right? Idolatry. I'm thinking about bikes. So the bikes are all here good. So I look in the fridge. Yeah, everything's good. Close it. Look at my truck. There's kind of like some wood chips and stuff around. My center console's open. So, but... It's, everything looks good. I close it. Smells a little in there. Close the door. Look in the Honda. All looks good. Close it. Talk to the neighbor the next day who lives there year-round. You know, we're living there for a week. This is in Tahoma on the West Shore. She says, yeah, the, the bears open the doors to our cars. She says, every week. He just comes by, opens the door to her car, looks in, and goes on. Why am I telling you all of this story is that creation is not working properly. Bears are not supposed to go into cars to get their food, but they are. The creation is in decay, and one day it's going to be liberated according to Romans 8. And so I asked the question earlier that you might be asking, well, when is this going to be? 
So really quickly here, this is kind of where we are here. Jesus came some 2,000 years ago. We're in this, whatever you want to call this, new covenant, church age, whatever. We don't know when any of this stuff's going to happen, whether it's tomorrow or in 1,000 years. I don't know. But the next thing I think that's going to happen, in my understanding of the New Testament, is in 1 Thessalonians 4, there's, there's going to be uh, where we're caught up to the Lord, what's sometimes referred to as the rapture, and that's kind of where this, this line is. And then we're going to have seven years of, of hardship and trial, this tribulation. And then Christ is going to return. And so why am I talking about this? Because the passage is saying that creation is going to end this, this decay, and it's going to be restored. It's going to be transformed. And some people would say it's, it's going to be transformed here, then it's going to be destroyed, and we're going to have a new heavens and new earth. Other people, like the commentator who I've learned the most from, Doug Moo, says, actually, the new heavens and the new earth is going to be this planet restored. And Romans 8 is one of the strongest texts for those that hold that view. So I, I'm, I'm a learner here. Is it referring to this? Is it referring to this? Is it referring to both? I'm not sure, but I can tell you that it itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, the creation. This is, this is good news, incredible news. I don't know Doug Moo, but he's really helped me understand Romans, and I'm following him in, on almost everything because he seems to really get the scriptures. And so he, he says this. He says, if creation has suffered the consequences of human sin, back to Genesis 3, it will also enjoy the fruits of human deliverance. Nature, Paul affirms, has a future within the plan of God. It is destined not simply for destruction, but for transformation. And there is this strong parallel between your transformation as a Christ follower and the transformation of this planet, of creation, of even the life of bears in Tahoma on the West Shore. So creation... In addition to Christ's followers, we groan in frustration and decay while we await consummation, while we await transformation, while we wait, await the new heavens and the new earth. Some of you are saying, well, I've, I've heard it taught and it, it may be right. So you guys can figure this out in your small groups this week and then report back to me. You've, some of you have heard, well, the earth is going to be destroyed. And, and so Revelation 21 says this, uh, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So does that mean destroyed? Or does that mean renewed and glorified? And the new heavens and new earth is going to be this glorified version of this earth. There, there, there's godly people who, who say, yeah, this earth is going to be destroyed. There's godly people like Doug Moo who say, no, this earth is going to be transformed and the new heavens and the new earth are going to be here. There's going to be a Sierra and a Pacific Ocean and an Atlantic Ocean that is transformed and renewed in the new heavens and new earth. Some say it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be new. Either way, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage. All right. Verses. Let's see. Did I do 22 yet? All right. Now I'm really going to pick it up. 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So that's it about creation, and then we, we come back 
uh, to us now in verse 23. Look at 23 and 24. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, meaning we have the Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit is in us, but we still groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. You know, we haven't seen the new heavens and new earth, but we hope for it. God has promised it, and he's telling us concretely that it is the, the reality with which we need to make it through the suffering so that our suffering is not comparable to the glory that is coming. So back, back to 24. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? This hope is hugely relevant to our suffering. I've already hit most of these points uh, Number two, creation, in addition to Christ's followers, groans in frustration and decay while awaiting consummation. And then the next thing I want to say comes out of 1 Corinthians 15, where it says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory, King James Version here, through our Lord Jesus Christ. The, we have victory over death. And that shows up at some point in the future when you and I and all of God's people are glorified. And that, and that is victory. That is victory. There's going to be victory for creation. There's going to be victory for you and me. And so this is what fills us with hope. Unlike creation, Christ followers are filled with hope as we await glorification. When I say unlike creation, I mean creation isn't made in God's image. Creation, whether it's the bears or the birds or the dogs, they, they, they don't make art and movies and books. They don't love God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength the way that we do. So that's what I mean by unlike creation. We are filled with hope in a way that creation isn't as we await consummation and glorification. This is really good news. And I'm saying this so that you are ready for the suffering that comes. It's going to come. I mean, some of us think, you know, I'm going to just go in the, in the middle of the night in perfect health. And uh, I mean, I don't want to break the bad news to you, but that doesn't happen very often. Suffering near the end of life is not 100%, but it is there a lot. So what will get you through that is the reality of this hope. I've talked about this guy, those of you that weren't here last week, you didn't hear me talk about him, but I've talked about Nick Harris several weeks. I'm going to just briefly mention him here again. As I mentioned, I have watched a lot of people suffer. I've watched a lot of people suffer near the end of life. This passage is incredibly relevant for those who are suffering or who may be near the end of life. It's, it's relevant for young people, too, who are suffering. But for those who are near the end of life, I, I remember a man who was part of our fellowship named Nick Harris he had no wife, he had no children, he had no grandchildren, he didn't really have friends other than a few here. And he's right at the end, at death door, he's in the ICU. And the hospital called me to go visit him, which is unusual, because usually it's a friend or family member or spouse who calls me. But the hospital called me because there are no friends, there are no spouses. <laughs> 
spouse, I guess. There is no spouse. He's from Utah. No, I'm just kidding. That was bad. <laughs> there, there is no spouse. There, 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 is, there is nobody there in the ICU waiting room at Auburn Faith. It's empty. And so, me of little faith, I'm going there like, like maybe this is just my own fear. Like, that's not the way I want to go. An empty ICU waiting room. So I'm like feeling all compassionate for him. I, I go in there, and it, he's, he's right at death's door. And the guy is so full of hope and enthusiasm. It, it just blows me away. It, it was like incidental that I came in. It's like he wanted to tell me, hey, I, I, I'm going to paradise See ya. I'm like all nervous going in there. No family, no wife, no friends. This truth, this hope was in him. He was ready to go. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. He knew that. I saw it in him. You need that. You get it from this passage. Final verse, 25. Verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We wait for it patiently. Love is patient. The Christian life requires patience. Lord, help me to wait patiently. I'm saying this especially for those who are suffering with great intensity. Help me to wait patiently. There is purpose in the suffering of believers. We'll close with this. Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12, suffering that is included in the long list of his suffering that we've already read. You know this passage, many of you, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. We got to see paradise. There was given me a thorn in my flesh. There was given me suffering, paraphrase, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So here we could insert God doesn't answer prayer. He does answer prayer. His prayer was, no, I'm not taking that suffering away from you, Paul. This is a hard thing to preach, but the Lord may say to you, "Um, no, I'm not taking that suffering away. Why? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And the false teachers, their power was on display. It was demonstrated in their authority, in their teaching. But in Paul, God's power was shown in his weakness. If you're a Christ follower, it is God's will for his power and grace to be shown in your weakness. And this is hard news, but the news is that there is a purpose, a redemptive purpose in your suffering. And it is full of hope and patient waiting for this final adoption in the new heavens and new earth. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you. 
for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have no matter what life brings. Broken marriages, cancer, divided families, clinical depression, there is hope in our future and because of the future, there is hope now, today, that you are with us and will never leave us and never forsake us, but you will see us through to that final day. We pray that the Lord Jesus would come soon. In your name, Lord.